welcome to the newest episode of The Adoption Files. I am welcoming today the lovely Christine Mueller-Decker. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, Christine was adopted from the state of Oregon, where she was part of the advocacy movement that resulted in the state of Oregon creating some of the best laws regarding adoptee access to original birth certificates in the country, which I think is amazing and wonderful. Uh, Christine is also one of the only adoptees that I have ever met in person. She is very brave and met me. So I really appreciate her. And thank you for being here today, Christine. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm oh. excited to be doing this. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm excited to talk with you and uh, just really impressed by the work that you were a part of. So thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's something that when I was in the middle of it, it didn't seem like, I mean, it was like, I knew it was important because I wanted mine. Um, but I, yeah, that part of just as I watch other people in states just opening theirs up now, it floors me that it's taken others so long to be able to get their original birth certificates. Yeah, it's really atrocious. And, you know, Oregon is one of only 10 states in the United States, which I think most people are unaware of, that has true unrestricted access to original birth certificates. Yeah. And, you know, I, once I got mine, I kind of stepped away from all of that and um, didn't really continue to get more involved. And, you know, I got mine and, um, but this realization just in you and I talking um, of how really important that is to pursue so that everyone is able to get theirs and um you know it's it's it was kind of a game changer for me and what it brought over the next you know 20 years um after i received mine and um just completely changed my life and it's a very important thing to have access to um as an adoptee and that we're restricted from. So yeah, it makes me really sad. Yeah, I agree completely. And so your story is like a lot of others. Um, Your parents were not actually from Oregon. My adopted parents? Uh, Your mother and father your first mother and father they weren't actually from Oregon correct they were not they um were both from Montana um and um knew each other in high school a little bit through the party scene and um the two of them uh my my dad was um a number of years older than my mom and um they he moved away and and um got married and had a couple of kids 
and then came back and reconnected with my mom and um they had a, a one night stand and that's when I came about and um but that all happened in Montana and I was born in Oregon and so um my adopted parents were told a completely different story and um for 27 years i believed that my biological parents were from a tiny little town in oregon and were high school sweethearts and um went off to college and had an oops night um and yeah that was kind of a hard thing to process at 27 that what I had believed all of those years was a complete and total lie so yeah I I get so frustrated uh, with the lack of understanding that that people have about the impact that all of those lies have on us it, yeah it's um you know it really takes its toll as the truth comes out and you know people think they're doing us a huge favor in you know keeping that secret and there's just even more to process and work through um because then you have to kind of go through that whole like my whole life has been a lie thing you know <laughs> Oh yeah, I know. Cause I'm one of those late discovery adoptees. I was not a lot older than you when I found out I was adopted, uh, but it definitely changed everything. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, I'm, I knew I was adopted all of those years. And so I can't even imagine. I have several friends like you who found out late in life and it's like it's again I say this over and over but the secrecy is not okay and um that's a big part of it for me um and my healing and the work that I've done in processing all of this that um realizing how much those secrets are what cause the trauma and the damage and um you know we as kids and people are pretty resilient and um but when it's the secrets and continuing to be you know told that oh you should be grateful and you should be this and you should be that and and having to keep you know and, and like for yourself that we know, I, you know, there's that feeling of never quite fitting in, never quite being a part of the quote family. And, um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about that, but I know my other friends who didn't know right away that they were adopted, that they always had a feeling of not belonging. Yeah, I definitely experienced that. I just thought there was something wrong with me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I find it really fascinating that there are so many similarities because 
even knowing, you know, there's this idea that people like to put out there that as long as the adoptee knows that it's not, it's not traumatizing to, you know, the whole adoption thing. And yet, yeah, and yet I talk to people like yourself who, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, well, wait a minute. It's there's there's that feeling of otherness that you talk about. Yeah. And your parents were willing to talk to you and and answer some of your questions when you were growing up. Yeah, you know, and that's just it. Like, I, you know, I my adopted parents are these beautiful, loving. Um, wonderful people. I don't remember a time that I didn't know. Um, you know, there was always a conversation and always a positive conversation. And um, whenever, you know, and, and I think that's part of their conditioning that, you know, oh, if you just love them enough, it'll be, they'll, it just, it's just love them enough. It'll be fine. And, um, that reality hit my family when my younger sister, who is biological to my adopted parents, um, ended up getting involved in fostering young children and then adopted some of them who could not be placed back in their home with their family and um and my mom started reading books and listening to some of the stuff that my sister had to learn in her classes and um and she said we never had any of these nobody ever told me this stuff and um and she at one point you know and this was maybe just in the last 10 years, um, apologized for a lot of the just unknown, you know, they, they were never told. And it was, it's put out there as this beautiful, wonderful, loving thing. And it can be, I have a beautiful family that I am very grateful for. And I still, at almost 52 years old, have to tell myself daily that I belong to this family. That's so hard. Yeah, to have to constantly reassure ourselves that it's okay to refer to these people as our families and, and to feel like we belong with them. Yeah, and that we are at an equal... Um, you know, that's another thing I've in talking to other adoptees that um, feeling that you're not ever at an equal playing level to your family, either side, uh, biological or adopted. There is that feeling of, you know, um, I was so excited when I found biological family who actually was willing to meet me and be involved and have a relationship only to discover this whole other side of trauma and stuff from that. And, um, 
And so, yeah, it's, it's a definite struggle. Well, and your situation is a little bit complicated because your mother was also adopted. Yes. Yes. She was, um, she was born in Germany. Her father was a U.S. soldier um, and mother was um, a young German woman and he got the mother pregnant twice while he was over there and um and then when the war was over he moved back to the states and their mother could not afford to raise them and support them and so um she had to give them both children up for adoption so it was my biological mother sue and was i believe she was three at the time um, and then her younger brother, who was one, and she was adopted to a couple here in the States and no idea what happened to her younger brother and never had that opportunity to um, explore that. Um, and so, yeah, you know, she comes from this and you want to talk about that generational trauma being passed down. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Cause that's really horrifying I, because of the, you know, especially because the circumstances, so many people don't realize that most of our mothers don't really want to give us away. It's poverty and circumstances that, prompt relinquishment and it sounds like your grandmother would have you know kept her children if she had been financially able to do so yep yeah because sue lived with her for three years you know she she was in the home with her mother and and you know and father when he was available and um yeah, and then to be, you know, taken away from that and, you know, blown across the ocean and adopted to a couple in a completely different country. Um, and with different languages and customs. Well, and then as she was growing up, she was always told, oh, you know, we should have adopted your brother too. And, you know, she mentioned that several times, the couple, the few times her and I spoke. Um, and, you know, that has to feel all kinds of crap, you know, just that, <laughs> yeah, that word for it. Like, yeah, just crap, you know, and um, there's that part of, again, that just that trauma that just passes down from generation to generation. She was carrying all of that. And, you know, I, I, you know, that was, this was back in the late sixties, early seventies that she got pregnant with me and, you know, didn't have a good relationship with her adopted parents and they were super disconnected and, 
Um, and so, you know, she did what her mom did too. And just right away instead of, you know, a couple years in to keeping me and, um, didn't have the support from her, um, adopted mom and, and was, uh, you know, hid the pregnancy for the whole, for eight and a half months of her pregnancy and, um, never felt, you know, that connection enough to her mom to be comfortable enough to share that she was even pregnant and explore that. And, um, and then as soon as mom found out, shipped her off to, from Montana to Oregon. And she was going to be left with a, um, aunt and uncle that, you know, she'd never met. Um, and they were, the original plan was they were going to adopt me and again, keep it all a secret, pretend that I was theirs because the aunt couldn't get pregnant and wanted a baby. Then they, you know, uh, once she got to Oregon and met them and made the decision at the last minute when she was in labor with me that she didn't want them to raise me um, and, you know, signed all her rights over and everything. And yeah, it's um, a lot of crap. <laughs> Well, and this was so contradictory to the story that you were told by your adoptive parents. I can totally see why it would have been such a shock. But yeah. Well, so and it's, and they came, they, that's what they were told from the um, county. And it's like, I mean, these lies, like, why would you lie about that kind of stuff? I don't know. I, I mean, I do know it's to make it look all unicorns and roses and beautiful. Like it's supposedly supposed to be. I, I really, uh, I look at that and I think, especially given what you guys accomplished in Oregon, that so Oregon's laws are that you, if you're 21 years of age or older, which you know all this, you're allowed to apply for a certified copy of your original birth certificate. A lot of the states that allow adoptees to apply for copies of their birth certificates, they are non-certified copies. So that's a big difference. But the other thing in Oregon's laws is that they have to give an accurate description on the paperwork that they release of where you were born, when you were born, and your parents' names, you know, as far as was reported to right. the original person. Whereas in some states like Georgia, they can routinely just change the name of the place where you were born and the date that you were born. So wrong. Just so wrong. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, what you're saying about the, you know, the lies earlier, I think about how much of our society is based on trust. When we create relationships that are based on lies, 
there's there's no real intimacy you can't it's it's just so damaging and if you're a non-adopted person and you were in a relationship with someone and then you discovered that everything they had told you about themselves was just bs you would be outraged oh yeah exactly yeah but we're supposed to just take it accept it and be okay and be understanding of what everybody else in the triad is going through yeah it's our job to make sure everybody's comfortable and happy and yeah there's um there's the oh gosh you said something about um i wanted to touch base on that you know, there's that part of um, having the right to this information and that constant deception. And when you as a person um, come from deceit, like, starting out how do you go about trusting anything in your life like when your whole like my whole story that I believed about my my birth what happened to me for the first three months of my life was a complete lie and the people who were supposed to be responsible and taking care of not my adopted parents, because this is what they were told, but, you know, the county, the government, the, you know, the people who she handed me over to, and well, actually she didn't even hand me over because she never held me. The people who took me, um, you know, had the right or the response, not the right, the responsibility to take care of me and make sure I was safe and okay. And they created this ridiculous story that then, you know, I believed for how many years. And then how do you go about ever trusting anything when you find that deception? It's incredibly difficult. I, I think that a lot of these agencies and individuals felt that they would never be held responsible for any of it. And I think... Unfortunately, they still are not being held responsible. No. Yeah, there's very little that we can do. Yeah. Some countries have apologized to, yes. yeah, to the to the adoptees and their mothers, you know, like in England and in Ireland, I think there have been apologies. And some of the Governments have apologized to the First Nations people, you know, who were forcibly removed from their homes and taken and given to white families. So there have been some apologies. And I think some of those governments are working to try and open records and help the adoptees connect with their families. But, it, you know, it feels like it, it just feels like it's too late in so many cases. Yeah. And yeah. I look at states that have 
restricted access. And I, I just get really angry because the, you know, people will say it's a victory because if you were born after this date in April of this year, you can apply. But if you're born before that, you can't. Or yeah. yeah. That all feels more messed up to me. <laughs> oh, because what if you're the one whose birthday is the day before it opens? Imagine. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're the one adoptee whose mother says, yeah, you have to redact my yes exactly well it's like I have a friend who's okay so I'm correct me if I'm wrong is it I think she's so she was born in California and in order to get your birth certificate in California you have to have the compelling reason and consent or something And, and it was like like consent from like the biological mother or the adopted mother. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. I, I can't keep them all straight, but it was so ridiculous. And it's like, why does, why do they get to make the decision over uh, whether I get my birth certificate or not, or whether, you know, my friend Tracy gets her birth certificate or not. Like, and, and that's so not okay that, you know, I have to ask permission nobody else has to ask permission yeah i I think we're we're treated like property and we're treated like uh, lesser lesser people like we don't have the same rights as fellow citizens you know it's just it's ridiculous and now oregon it is 21 now but when you were 21 they would not give you your records. I didn't get mine until I was 27. Okay. And, and how, go ahead. What motivated you to apply and then become involved in advocacy? So I, um, you know, knowing, like I said, from as, as far back as I can remember that I was adopted and, um, my parents were always supportive of me searching, but they their one request was that I waited until I was 18 and graduated from high school. And that was fine. Um, and so I spent numerous years searching. Um, and, you know, we didn't have um, all the wonderful internet access that we do now and all the like amazing connections in that way and ancestry, like DNA stuff that there was none of that. Um, The internet was um, like, yeah, not even an option when I started searching at 18. And so, you know, I um, did stuff like, um, my dad and I, when I was maybe 23, 24, drove to this little town in Oregon where I was born. And, you know, it's one of those little tiny towns that has one signal and, and, um, and thought maybe we could get a hold of some yearbooks from the high school there. Because again, the story we were told this whole time was that my 
mom and dad went to high school there and were high school sweethearts and and you know there wasn't a lot of other ways to make these connections especially if you had no identifying information no i had no names no nothing and um and so um we spent days looking at yearbooks from the local high school and then the local college which they supposedly went to and um trying to find people that looked like me and met a woman that um lived in that area and grew up in that area and she was super sweet and connected with us and we'd have a list of names and she'd call a couple times a day and we'd be like so what about blah 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 you know our eyes kind of look the same and oh no couldn't have been her she did it you know and so we spent i don't even remember four or five days doing this and um you know, with no luck, obviously, because my parents didn't live there. And um, there was just always a need to make that connection. And um, part of it for me was I had, I've always had kind of bizarre medical stuff. And, you know, that's another thing that we a lot of us don't have is access to medical history. And um, I was having some very, um, you know, weird medical things that uh, they were sure was genetic, but couldn't, you know, didn't know because I didn't know my genetic DNA. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, there was that, that like, longing to find a connection and it got even a little more I, I once I had kids it, it got more um more urgent to do and um that was you know the first people that I had ever seen that looked like me and that kind of brought that up as far as like wanting to pursue finding other people out there that looked like me. And um, then when I, you know, and during all of that time, not having access to my birth record and or any information like that, and I just kept hitting brick wall after brick wall. Um, and at one point, when I was about 24, then, you know, the internet was around a bit more and I got involved in some groups on good old AOL. Um, and there was some adoptee support groups there. And um, that's how I found out about this group helping, um, to get that opened in Oregon and got involved in getting signatures and stuff for that. And, um, yeah, and took 20, I was 27 when I got that information. I'll never forget that the day that mail came, I can 
still like a video running in my head and opening the mailbox and seeing that letter. And I didn't open it for two days. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask you, I said, so did you stare at it? Like it might bite you? Mm-hmm. Two days. Cause I was sure that there was going to be something wrong with it. And that like, like it was going to be like they photocopied it and the photocopy where her name was, was bad. Or like, you know, I just, I ran so many scenarios in my head. Um, I'm sure. I, I think we all tend to, cause you know, you don't, you don't know what it's going to say. Yeah. And, and you and it was very, um, it was super basic like it didn't have it just had her name like I didn't have any you know that's something um that I just recently in talking with you like I've never really even thought about trying to get anything else um but it was just a very basic you know and I mean I got her name from it but it was like there was no like this is how much you weighed this is nothing like that and um yeah it's a weird day I yeah I remember when my file arrived from the UK just kind of looking at it like okay what's gonna be in there and not knowing really what to expect at all but my because I was born in the UK, they provide a great deal more information than most of the states in the US do, even the open states. Mm-hmm. So I, for a long time, just assumed that that's what everybody got. I, I was super naive. Uh, now I they have border, yeah. like the third, uh, it's about a third of a size of a regular piece of paper. And it just has very it was like her name and I'll never forget seeing that it was she was from um oh my god I'm blinking on it but from this little town in and it said Montana and I was like Montana like what yeah because then you start wondering which one is the mistake yeah and yeah so now I did look into the laws in Oregon since we spoke, and it's my understanding that some recent laws in the last few years do allow adoptees to request a little bit more information, you know, information that you may already have, but I think they now will allow, and I'm not a lawyer, so anybody listening to this, if I'm, if I'm wrong here, I apologize, but there's a very good website, the adoptyrightslawcenter.com, and they track the adoption laws and the changes in the adoption laws. But it still is, you know, written in lawyer speak when you look at the actual laws. Oh, okay. So, so anyway, so they did say that in recent years, Oregon has changed some of their laws to allow adoptees to apply for some additional documents. And I think from reading the law that if you go back and talk to them, that they also, if they have the information, will attach this certificate of live birth 
that lists where and when and the hospital that you were born in. Uh, so they, they do provide a little bit more information. I think there's also some medical information that they require, but it does depend on whether or not the, the mother responds to their inquiries. You know, mm. if she doesn't respond, then you're not going to get anything. But I think she does, you know, have to tell the hospital a little bit. And maybe that's what's included in the new paperwork. So it See, might be because my mom's dead so uh, I'm sorry and that's you know there's that part of it where it's like you know that continued secrecy and I guarantee you she you know never signed anything like that when she gave me up that you know down the road I could have paperwork or information or anything like that and um, that would have been the last thing she would have done Oh. And there's that, you know, and it's, it, that's, I guess what just frustrates me is it's like, so I now, you know, I still don't quote deserve that information because my biological mom is dead now. Like <laughs> again, a bunch, it's just, it's really frustrating as an adoptee to continue to hit the brick walls. Well, it's crazy making. And then when our culture insists that we just be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think about the hoops we have to jump through. You know, when you get caught, when you would need copies of your kids' birth certificates, did you have to go through a big long? Nope. No, you just fill out the application, send off <laughs> the money. But now another nice thing about Oregon is that when you apply for your copy of your birth certificate, it's not super expensive, right? Oh gosh, no. I, I mean, it was, I think it was like $12 or something ridiculous like that or $4. It was not anything outrageous. See, and that's, that's, Wonderful because so many states, I think Tennessee, it's a hundred and fifty dollars plus twenty-five cents a page. Well, I so I should take that back because <laughs> this was like 30 years ago or 20 oh, well, years. Sure. But but, but yeah, yeah. The fact yeah, that you super expensive still, you know. Yeah, I just I think it should be in line with what non-adopted people pay for copies of their birth certificates. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, if your kid's birth certificate costs 30 bucks, yours should cost $30. Yeah. Uh, so you get your birth certificate in the mail and the information doesn't line up with what you've been told. And how did you, how did you process that? Um, so, you know, it was this, like, there was a name and then this whole, you know, Wolf Creek, Montana was where, where she was from. And it was like, Montana, like, what, what is this? This is insane. And, um, pretty quickly decided that I needed to move forward because this didn't make sense. And so obviously somebody's lying 
And, um, and so I reached out to, um, kind of a, a, a mentor search angel type woman that I'd been working with and confiding in. And, um, she suggested, you know, she was like, I, there's a couple ways that you could go about pursuing this and suggested a couple different ways for me to look at it. And, you know, and, and I'm one to, well, not so much anymore, but I used to jump in, you know, both feet blindfolded, not looking, not paying any attention, like, let's just do this. And, and, you know, this was one of those situations where it actually worked out pretty well for me, um, to get through and get information. Um, and within like a day or two of opening the letter and getting the information, I decided to, um, go ahead. And I, I called good old 411, you know, this was a long time ago and in information in, um, Wolf Creek, Montana. And the, the last name was not a super common name. And I had looked up the population of Wolf Creek, Montana, and it looked like a pretty small town. And, um, I thought, well, you know, maybe I, I can get a phone number and I call and, you know, the operator answers. And within a couple minutes, I have a phone number for, um, who I learn is my adopted grandmother or my, sorry, my biological grandmother. And, um, so I have, of course, like panic about it and do I call, what do I do? And, um, and so I made the call, but I pretended I didn't, um, say who I was right away. And I just said that, uh, or it was suggested that I say that I was a friend of hers from school and was trying to get in touch with her and um, just to see where it would go. And well, that's when I learned that this was, you know, her adopted mom. And um, there was a moment of silence because I didn't really know what to do with it. Um, and I actually, at that moment, didn't know it was her adopted mom. I guess I should go back on that. Um, I just knew it was her mom. And, um, and so we had this conversation, but I didn't tell her who I was and just, you know, kind of played the whole, I'm friends from her from high school. She ended up giving me her phone number and, um, got off the phone and I was like, well, now what do I do? And so, uh, the, I waited a day and, um, I called and a young man answered the phone who I found out later was my half brother. Um, and Sue got on the phone and I just said, you know, I, uh, don't know if you'd heard, but Oregon has just released all of these, you know, original birth certificates. And I'm wondering if you have some time to answer a few questions about that. And um, 
she was like, this is not a good time. Can I call you back in about 20 minutes? And I thought I was never going to hear from her again, but she actually called me back. And I just said, you know, I uh, think you might be my biological mom. And she was ecstatic that I had found her, was so um, like very open and shared a bunch of information. And we had um, a really pretty intense first conversation. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a trip to hear her voice for the first time. Yeah, I, I've had one phone conversation with my mother and I remember how weird it was to hear her voice. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and I can't, you know, it's been such a long time. I don't even really remember how she sounded that well. I just remember that you know, like my heart just felt like it stopped beating for a moment. Yes, I definitely had to um, well, like control myself. And, you know, I wish I had known then what I know now about like breathing techniques and stuff. <laughs> that would have been yeah. really official. I know, instead of having a panic attack while you're on the phone. It's, yeah, so you and I kind Uh-oh. of, kind of. I know, right? Yeah, but you and I kind of did things the same way. Like when I found out my mother's name and her mother's name, which I actually had before I got my adoption file, but that's kind of another story. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't find her. Like I tried calling like all of these numbers that were attached to her stepfather like I didn't realize he was her stepfather so I'm calling all these people with his name all over the country because I just didn't know and then I realized that my mother and my grandmother were both born in the same small town in Alabama so I just took a protractor and made a circle like a 30 mile radius circle on the map around Fort Payne, Alabama. And I just, cause my grandmother had what seemed like an unusual last name to me. And I, I got my mother, my grandmother's sister-in-law on the first call. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, but I, you know, it was that same kind of icky thing where you're like, do I tell these people who I am? Do they even know I exist? I mean, how do I how do I do this? And so I just did this whole like genealogy BS thing where it was like, I found some papers in my dad's belongings because that is where the, the information came from. Uh, and I have reason to believe that my grandfather, you know, was in the military with my father. And so I was hoping I could figure out how we're connected and Turn it, my phone is ringing. Such a great time for that to be happening. And I can't answer it. So we're just going to have to keep calling me. Sorry, people. I'm trying, I'll put a pillow over the phone. Maybe that'll work. I turned the ringer off too. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, so I lost my train of thought. Any, oh yeah, I did the whole genealogy thing. And 
it turned out that someone else had been doing the family genealogy. So everybody was used to answering the questions. Yeah. So they gave me my grandmother's phone number. And when I contacted her, I did the whole thing again. And I told myself, if she asks me how I'm related to the family, then I will tell her. Okay. If she doesn't ask that I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I wasn't sure what I would do if they didn't ask, but I knew what I would do if they did. And so she asked me how I was related to the family. And I told her, I'm your granddaughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I knew, I mean, there was no doubt that that's who this person was, but she did the whole like um, secret keeping thing. She wouldn't tell me how to get in touch with my mother for, for several months after, after I got in touch with her. I don't understand that. Well, you know, she was like, your mom told you now isn't a good time. Let's wait 20 minutes. My grandmother was like, now isn't a good time. I'll let you know. Crazy. (laughs) And it was months. And then it turned out to be never like it should have never. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's today. People seem to use like Facebook or Instagram to find relatives. You and I had to do it old school. Right. <laughs> I know I laugh today when I talk to some of um, people about searching and stuff. Cause I was like, oh yeah, we didn't have this stuff back in the day. Like, you know, people are like, if you've known some of this information for so long, why did it take you, you know, I just found my, my dad a couple years ago. And why did it take you that long? because there, you know, the only way that I found him was through DNA testing. And that wasn't around 20 years ago, you know? No. And I have started considering that to be like part of our documentation because Mm -hmm. we're having to rely more and more on that. Because even if you are allowed to get a copy of your original birth certificate, It was not, and it's still not required by law in a lot of places for your father to be listed on your birth certificate. Nope, he's not on mine. Yeah, he's not on mine either. A name was because Sue gave it to me. Okay, so you have to have a cooperative, like my mother would never tell me who my father was. So it took 22 years to find him. And he's dead, he was dead long before I found them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's like in my situation, she made the decision to not tell him. And, um, and so that was a fun phone call. (laughs) I bet. You're like, yeah. Like, and, and, um, and then a whole new set of like, I figured I was, you know, either, and I don't know why, but I figured I was either his oldest or his only child. And, you know, only to learn that I have three older siblings and two younger siblings. And there's like one, two, three, four different parents, four different mothers. And, oh, oh yeah. Around. Dad was quite a player, very handsome, very, uh, very um very just a, a very much a player yeah <laughs> okay um, and yeah. so you know and then yeah and 
again, that secrecy, um, you know, I'm not saying he would have been a great dad, but he, we never had the opportunity to even have that connection. And, you know, I met him one time and he passed away last year also. So, you know, it's like, sorry. Yeah. And, you know, that just creates a whole nother, you know, there was this small connection and excitement and possibility of creating a relationship. Um, Except it was, you know, too many years too late and there wasn't any time anymore. So um, that going back to how, you know, it's not just a relinquishment at birth. This is something that affects us in so many different ways and that people would never think of um, and would never even I always say, uh, you know, a lot of non-adoptees would never be able to, you know, they're never going to be able to understand the stuff that we have to process and how, you know, a loss for us is a completely different dynamic than it is for someone who hasn't been adopted and or left at birth. Um, That's very true. And I mean, what would you say then? to or what do you say to the people who then you know will say to you well you had great adoptive parents why bother you know asking for your documents and then pursuing reunion why do that you know it's um there's this this part of us that um and, you know, this is all new to me, too, the understanding of because we are so conditioned all of our lives that, yes, you have great, you know, that's people's thing. You have great adoptive, adoptive parents. They love you so much and would do anything for you. So why do you need this? Why do you need to go look? Why do you need this other side? This, you know, um, and there's that connection and we have a a primal connection with our genetics and there's you know these people that are supposed to be connected to us that we are similar to in many ways and you know there's a sense of just because my biological mother couldn't raise me and I was put up for adoption doesn't mean that I still don't have a connection to her in a way. And doesn't mean that I don't deserve to have that knowledge of who she is, what she did, why she did and other family and stuff. And, you know, I, I have kind of both sides because my, my biological father's side, many of the siblings on that side have been open and accepting and talking and sharing. And when he passed included me in, you know, ceremony and memorabilia stuff and 
time together. And then the mother's side who won't even acknowledge me and, and, you know, I wasn't in the obituary. I wasn't invited to the funeral. I wasn't allowed to go to any of that. I've never been even able to meet her because of her other biological children putting such pressure on her that I was going to create some chaos or something. And, you know, there's this like weird, like we deserve to have that connection. Whether we have amazing, wonderful, awesome, loving, unconditionally loving adopted parents or ones that are horrible. Like people deserve to have that. And, um, you know, there's not a, like, you can have that and have both. You can have both. It doesn't need to be an either or, you know, and that's been, I think so long it's been, we've been in that conditioned state of if I have these wonderful, loving, amazing parents, I can't have the connection to my genetic family. And it just doesn't work that way. No, and and I hear people, and you know, and thank you for explaining that because I hear people who voice that attitude that you know, why do you need to know, and you know, why do you care, and you could destroy somebody, and and I think you know, those are not my issues to carry that's you know if they have trauma and problems with my existence and stuff that's that's their stuff to figure out and you know the fact that you weren't included I'm so sorry that you went through that because that's that's been my experience with my mother's family like I wasn't told when my grandparents died I doubt I'll be told when my mother dies um and I don't think people comprehend you know I think a lot of adoptees we have trouble believing like in our own concrete existence and then when our families of origin who know about us treat us as if we were non-existent Mm. it's it's such a crushing invalidation like my mother tells people she has two sons. Wow. And as far as I know, that is all she will acknowledge. Um, you know, maybe it's different. I live too far away from her and I've never met her. So maybe I'm not being fair, but that's, you know, the, when I have seen her social media stuff and everything, it's always like, these are my two children. Yeah. And, that's what you have to go off of. And you know, yeah. it hurts. Yeah, it does. And, and with my father's family, I only have uh, siblings and cousins left, you know, that I could communicate with and, and one great aunt who has not consented to talk to me to this point. Uh, And, you know, only one of the siblings will talk to me even sporadically. And even then he'll only text. Like you won't 
Oh, okay. He won't talk to me. And it's super weird too, because he's the same age as my younger son. Oh. Yeah. So when I look at pictures of him, I'm just like, I just want to hug him like I would my kid. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm looking at him like, oh, he this is he's 20. This my son when he was 20. Okay, let's put them next to each other and see. Is there any resemblance? Well, that's a trip. <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird thing. But yeah, my dad got around too. So yeah. Yeah. So your dad was not in your on your birth certificate. And because Oregon only gave you the birth certificate you weren't even provided with any like non-identifying information were you nope not at all oh i really think it would you know it might be worth it to uh, even you because you have children yeah and so people don't realize like your mom was adopted so you know adoption did not stop at your mom like it kept affecting other people yourself and your siblings yep. and, and your children because, oh it's totally affected my children yeah because they you know they have your adoptive parents or they had your adoptive parents which is great but they didn't grow up with you know cousins that they look like and grandparents that they resemble and family stories and family traditions well and even the part of you know I'm coming from a place of just understanding the mental psychological effects that all of this um you know has caused and why I struggled so much in relationships when Uh, excuse me, when I was younger and, um, and, you know, including being a parent and, you know, disconnecting and protecting myself um, because of what had happened and not knowing, you know, not knowing that that's what I was doing. Um, And so, you know, there are times where you know, I know as a parent, I was doing the best that I could at that time, but just having the, the, the trauma that was there, the, the stuff that my, and how my brain processes things and reacts to things coming from a place of fear and protection and, you know, that whole fight flight thing that there are, you know, things that parent wise, I could have done different. And I know we all can say that about being a parent and everything, but I, I specifically can look at things that with the knowledge that I have now and the work that I've done now and how I see um, the triggers that come along and the things that affect me and the way I react to things because of that, um, that I, you know, I would have done differently. And, um, and so, yeah, they, they have definitely been affected by, you know, not just having a genetic connection, but because of 
all of the, you know, the masking, the fronting, the putting on the, you know, the everything's fine and wonderful. Um, and just trying to survive all of that. Um, and just to be able to acknowledge that stuff and work on it now and have the relationships that I have with my um, adult girls who I'm so proud of. And it, it feels good to be able to acknowledge those things and, um, and see that, you know? Yeah. And so now your children were young when you found out that the stories that you had been told about your family were not true. So like they didn't grow up with that false narrative. Right. They, yeah, they were like six and three when I found out. So, you know, they knew, but they also went through, um, when I did find my biological mom, the first six months of our relationship was, nice and you know we communicated we talked and um had plans on meeting and and then things went bad um and that was had a lot to do with her other biological daughter um who hadn't been told um and so you know she's was then in her 20s just finding out that mom had, uh, um, lied all of those years, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, that's, I, again, another secret, another lie. And, and so then she, um, got upset and, um, was reactive and basically, you know, kind of came at mom with some aggression and that ended our communication and I went into a very serious depression and withdrew and, you know, that was about a year of just being very disconnected and, you know, doing the minimum as a parent and, um, you know, this stuff takes its toll. Yeah, it really, it really does. I, my kids were, gosh, when I was... 33 my kids were 12 and 9 when I found out and it significantly changed their idea of who their family was and what their history was wow yeah so you know there's that ripple effect and you know you talk about how you would have done things differently did you ever receive any like useful medical information? Um, you know, it was interesting from my, uh, on my mother's side, um, not really, cause she was also adopted. And, um, and so, you know, I learned some things that she had, um, but nothing more past that. Um, and then on my father's side, um, <laughs> that was kind of funny when I, when I met him, 
I asked him if he had any, you know, serious medical stuff because I've had this, I've had a lot of things, but the, the biggest one is I have this very weird, rare genetic disorder that, um, I create a ridiculous amount of like triglycerides and cholesterol and, um, like mind blowing amounts and even on medication and special diets and all of that. And so I mentioned to him, you know, Hey, you like looking at my medical stuff. And he was like, well, no, not really. I mean, I have kind of high cholesterol, but, um, you know, we control it with medication and stuff. And I was like, really like how high of cholesterol and, I mean, I've had numbers over 900 on, yeah, and that's on medication and a low fat diet. And, and he was like, well, you know, the last time a couple years ago, I had my blood work done. It was like 700, but (laughs) when I'm on, and I was like, so I was actually able to tell him, (laughs) so you need to go and tell your doctor that you probably have this genetic disorder called blah, 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 blah. It's this ridiculously long name. Um, But it was kind of funny because, so no, I didn't get any great medical knowledge. I was able to pass that on to him though. And (laughs) um, his was, they never really looked into it more though because once they put him on medication his went down well when they put me on medication it almost killed me so I couldn't take the or my numbers would triple and um and so they continued to look into what was going on and after sending me to specialists and everything realized that it was a a familial disorder and um and so yeah that was um that was it but okay well uh, that does seem like information you could have used yeah i mean it oh it's it's the whole thing of you know maybe if i had known that he had that that it would have been um, just beneficial to watch out for when I was younger and, um, and, you know, and just stuff to like, um, you know, I, I do know that my biological mother has had cancer a couple times and, um, no cancer that's like genetic type concern um but still you know she's had two different types of cancer now so just being aware of that kind of stuff and um and and they both passed away at a really young age too so yeah yeah it's good to know i mean i couldn't figure out why at 14 percent body fat i had high cholesterol oh yeah yeah and it turned out that it was because my grandmother has high cholesterol like genetic high cholesterol that's actually what they called it when i went in they're like you have genetic high cholesterol and i went well i don't know where it came from and they were confused they're like well it's genetic you're like yeah exactly (laughs) did you read the thing on the top of the file that says adopted in big letters across the top 
I was going to say that you had to write because there's no place to mark anything like that ever. Yeah, they don't have that on the form. Maybe that's the next thing we need to advocate is for doctors to not make us feel like idiots. Yeah, belittled or demeaned or othered. Just yeah. a little box there that says adopted and we'll just check the box. Yeah. That's, yeah. So now I would like to get like your kind of thoughts. You're familiar with RAD, right? Like reactive attachment disorder. Have you heard of that? Yes, I actually, um, I looked into it a number of years ago um just informative wise for myself um and then i also am familiar because i have um the the sister that i was talking about earlier that fostered and has adopted has four children that have all gone through foster programs and um and then they've been adopted and uh, my one nephew has been diagnosed with rad. Okay. Um, yeah. So, cause you have, you have a gap at the beginning of your life where you were in foster care yourself. Yeah. For about three months. And um, yeah, don't know much about it, you know? And there's that again, the presentation of it um, always makes it look wonderful and, and sounds like, you know, this sweet foster mom and, um, but you know, you don't know. Yeah, I think that for those of us who have been in foster care or in hospital care for any, you know, for any amount of time, prior to being adopted we should be we should have access to those records which should be maintained by social services oh. yeah so we should be able to see where we were and how we fared and you know because for those who are not familiar with rad you know it's kind of in there it's like in the title reactive attachment disorder when you're passed from one caretaker to another and you don't have time to like bond with that person, you can react by, uh, you know, always maintaining a distance from other people, from having difficulty in relationships, difficulty in connecting with people, difficulty in feeling like you um, fit in or belong and, and of course it can be much more severe than just that like feeling of unease. But I, you know, I think there's this fiction that a baby is born and then they like shoot out into their adoptive parents' arms and it's this instant connection. And that's not true for so many of us. And it really makes so much sense in um, when I think about how um, 
I deal with relationships and how I deal with connection in relationships. And, um, you know, and it's one of those things where I maybe 12, 13 years ago really started focusing on a lot of this stuff and working on myself and um, addressing some of this stuff and, and looking at what this does to us and, um, and working on building healthy relationships because I, if I had relationships, I, they, a lot of times were like toxic and not very healthy. And, um, and I think it was that part of me that that's all I felt like I deserved, you know? Um, and that part of, you know, people, if you think about it, when we're born, like what's, you know, it's the perfect, the picture of, you know, the mother and the father and the connection and um, the big movement now is the skin to skin and how important that is. And that, and, you know, and, and that, that importance of having that initial bonding, especially with the person that's carried us for the last nine months, the person that we're familiar with their smell, their voice, their, you know, their touch, their, all of that, their energy. And, you know, I, Oh, for a fact, in my case, she never held me. She never looked at me. She never interacted with me after I came out. And I went into, I'm assuming, the nursery and laid in a crib. And that's not what is, is meant for us. And there's, you know, it's, it's, there's, it's proven. There's clinical studies and such that you know, those first three months especially are so important to have that physical touch, to have that bond, to have that connection, especially, again, I'm going to say it, with that person that carried us. And, and so then those of us that, you know, were relinquished and given up, you know, we didn't have that. And then those of us that didn't go immediately into some sort of permanent placement went and, you know, and so you start to make a connection with one person and then you may be, you know, maybe we're at the hospital because back in the seventies, you know, you didn't get sent home from the hospital the same day you were born. <laughs> and you know, so maybe you connect with a nurse in the hospital, but then you get sent to a foster home and you're there for a month, six, eight weeks. You start to create a bond with that person. And, you know, and it's proven also that back then they kind of were very much into the like, cry it out, like them to cry. Foster parents didn't want to connect. And so a lot of us were just left to kind of fend for our own as a newborn when we're supposed to be making the most important connections. And so why would we 
be able to go forward and have healthy, positive connections and, and that attachment part of our brain that learns how that needs that nurturing. And, you know, it just, it's gone and it doesn't work right anymore. And there's not enough, I think, acknowledgement of how much that relinquishment at birth affects us. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that it's good that they're doing studies and that it's becoming more a part of, you know, the culture, but at the same time, I still see, you know, closed adoptions happening and children being given birth certificates with their adoptive parents' names on it instead of their parents' names and being denied. Like, I, I was curious because your mom was adopted in Montana. You know, I, I just looked up Montana's laws. I do think if you're interested as her daughter, you're actually allowed to request a copy of her adoption records from I'm not kidding. I think, like I said, I'm not a lawyer, but if I'm reading the law correctly, it says if the person was adopted 30 or more years ago, unless their parent requested in writing that the birth certificate not be released or that they would need a court order for it to be released, I believe this says that the department and county clerk and recorders shall, upon receipt of an application, issue a certified copy or copies of a vital record or a part of a vital record to the registrant, the registrant's spouse, children, parents, or guardian, or an authorized representative. Interesting. Now, they may require you to provide a a death certificate because, you know, they always like to make everything complicated. Complicated, yeah. But I think that you can also, as her daughter, request a death certificate. I don't think you would need permission from your sister to do that. So I don't know if there would be information in that in those records that would assist you in uh, you know pursuing more of your extended family right but if that's something you're interested in i do think if i'm reading the law correctly that you can apply now they can always tell you to go right pound sand you know (laughs) but it would be into yeah i mean because montana has like really freaking bizarre like multi-layered all kinds of conditions i you don't have an unrestricted right but they do have that thing for people who are 30 years of age or older and i think that's because they kind of think like well if you're at least 30 chances are the people you're looking for may no longer be alive. So score. Yeah. You know, 
it's it's just like they're legally denying us access to our families yeah so messed up yeah but yeah i just thought that if you were interested that was some information i would pass along to you yeah i'm gonna have to talk about that a little bit more because that would be interesting to see if i could find anything else out I um, am still on, you know, like ancestry DNA stuff. And, you know, like yesterday, I just got another email about, oh, you have another connection on ancestry DNA and blah, blah, blah. And one of these things I, oh my God, it would be a trip if it were her younger brother. And uh, because no idea what happened and you know I had this kind of um when her and I reconnected last year and were you know trying to plan to finally meet um it was one of the things I brought up to her because I had this realization that nobody's really ever talked to her about her adoption and the trauma and all of that. And, um, and I had this idea of like, Oh my gosh, maybe I'm supposed to, you know, come back into her life right now to help her find her younger brother and had the intention of, you know, looking at that when she got better and recovered from her cancer and then that didn't happen so that's kind of sits in the back of my head of like huh i wonder if there's a way for me to figure that out yeah i was just thinking that maybe if you're able to access her documents then the information about her mother that would be on that might you know might allow you to find uh, that part of your of your family because i know you said that your grandmother or your okay so your grandmother was german yes and so Bob was u.s soldier and i actually have i have so his when he came back here he remarried or he married and um had several other children i know that and i actually um communicate with one of the cousins on from one of his so it would have been his granddaughter um and he has passed away but I could reach out and connect possibly with some of his siblings if I wanted to. I just haven't gone there. Yeah, it's hard. But know, it is. Yeah. And peop- one of the things that I learned that was detrimental, I think, to like later on is that that rejection that you experience and the turmoil and everything else when you reach out to relatives and they don't, you know, things don't go well, 
that kind of informs how you move forward with every other person that you might be able to get in touch with. It's, it's like, I know I am terrified every time I try to reach out to any of my, my relatives because I just, there's just this huge uncertainty and it's because of the experience I had with my maternal family. Right. Uh, yep. Yeah. And so, yep. so people think, you know, like we're so invasive, but they don't realize is that most of the time we're just like scared. <laughs> at yeah, least for me. exactly. Yeah. At least for me. Yeah, well, and that's just it. And, and, you know, the, the crazy thing is that cousin is the one who she reached out to me through ancestry DNA because, uh, there was that connection. And so she reached out to me and um, was like, hey, I think we're related. And that all just became up or it came out a couple of years ago, kind of all that same time um, because Sue and her da- other daughter had done their DNA a number of years ago, apparently, and all connected. Um, and so she reached out to me and was like, are you, I see that you're related to this person and I want, I'm trying to figure out how we're all connected. And so her and I had a conversation and that came out and she shared some family trees and genetic stuff with me, but it was kind of all like overwhelming and, um, And so that all sits there and without being touched because of that fear. And I think a big part of it is, you know, it's on her side. So I'm just afraid that they're all going to treat me the way that they've treated me and or her kids have treated me anyways. um, But I shouldn't because that cousin has, I mean, like we're friends on Facebook and, you know, she was more than willing to even the one time we did have a conversation she was going to like a family reunion that weekend or something and she was like i'm gonna stir some shit up <laughs> like okay so i'll see what i can find out and um you know she sent me the next week then um some links to uh like obituaries and and some other genetic tree stuff but um i've never gone further with it and again it's you know that is that fear of uh being rejected and or turned down again yeah yeah that's it's it's hard and you know i really want to tell the listeners if if you are, if someone reaches out to you, respond. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. you're, you could be doing a tremendous kindness for that person. I, I found my paternal family because I reached out to a cousin. Yeah. And because I couldn't figure out why I had cousins in Michigan. I was like, this is weird. And because remember, I was born in England, so I didn't know if my father was English, Scottish, Spanish, American. I had no idea. I just knew my mother didn't have family in Michigan. And 
it was actually her, my cousin's best friend managed her account and her best friend is a search angel with the search squad. That's awesome. Yeah. And she was like, Ooh, an adoptee. Let's talk to this person. And she was actually one of my first interviews, Andrea Steiner Coates. She's, she's amazing. And she did this search for me for free and between the two of us and a couple of my very distant cousins who were willing to share their family trees and information with us, that's how we figured it out. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was obituaries, you know, it was online seeing my grandparents' obituaries and then my father's obituary and, uh, but, you know, that's another piece of documentation that we often rely on to find out if we have siblings and other family members, you know, obituaries, obituaries are big. So if you're writing anybody's obituary someday, include everybody's name, everybody, even if you don't like them. <laughs> yeah. Just put them on there. You don't have to say this person's wonderful. Just put, right. Yeah. Just put them down, include them on the piece of paper. Uh, it'll save everybody a lot of heartache someday. So I, so thank you so much for being here with me today. Is there anything before we go that you would want to, sorry, pass on to, like if somebody is interested in advocating to open their state's um, access to adoptees, or if someone is, you know, processing their piece of paper for the first time, what advice would you give them that you think would be helpful? Um, you know, me at this age, again, like I said, I wish I knew some, no, I think we say this quite often, but I wish I knew now, or I wish I knew back then what I know now. And um, so much of the feelings around it um, are terrifying. And, you know, in continuing to push and push to get these states to open up and give our fellow adoptees what they rightfully deserve um, is a fight that everyone needs to take on and and so that where I know there are some people who feel like it's a hopeless lost cause that just to keep pushing through for that and the part about you know when I got those papers and even just over you know it processing other stuff and every time I were to get the new information and stuff just to take the time to make sure that you're taking care of yourself and the self-care. Um, we don't owe anybody anything. We don't owe, we don't, we don't have to make anybody else happy. We don't have to, we're not responsible for somebody else's concerns or their life or what they did or didn't do and how that makes them look. Um, you know, there's so much around the secrecy thing. 
And those secrets cause so much grief and crap. Let me use that word again, crap for us. And we are always so worried about taking care of everybody else and not rocking the boat because of that fear of abandonment or being left. And when we really just really need to take care of ourselves and you do a hundred percent deserve to know who gave birth to you, who your family is, where you came from, what your culture is, what your medical history is. We deserve all of that. And we don't have to be happy about our situation all the freaking time. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think a lot of adoptees really need to hear that. They, we need to give ourselves permission and, yeah. yeah, and acknowledge our own self-worth, our, our own right to exist and take up space. And it's okay to be mad and hurt and, ha- and happy and loved and all of those things at the same time. It doesn't have to be an either or. I, I can love my adopted family and accept them and they can be amazing, wonderful parents. And I can also hate that I'm adopted sometimes. Yeah. Well, be sad and angry about it, you know? Yeah. Very well said. I, I think, you know, we need to hear that. Not adopted people need to hear that. Adoptees need to hear that. And we need to just need to create a space that allows people access and that doesn't put barriers in their way and treats us with the same rights that, uh, you know, normal, normal, non-adopted people uh, receive. And, and we need to stop erasing people and, and lying to them. Yeah. If we base our relationships with one another, with community leaders, with employers, with clients, if we, if we know that the foundation of all those things is being able to trust that they are who and what they, they say they are, if that's how we move through our lives, then it should be understood that adopted people need that same transparency, that same lack of lies so that we can build the same kind of trust that we all strive to have in our everyday lives. A hundred percent. So thank you again so much for being here and having you. If you decide to pursue that uh, Montana connection, let me know. And if you're interested, you can come back and talk about what kind of, sh- oh, I was about to say something. <laughs> <laughs> I try really hard to not swear because there's a little button on the podcast thing. Like, is this a clean show? Is this oh, not a clean show? And I've, uh, you know, if you've talked to me, you know, I know, right. I have potty mouth quite me frequently. Too. I try to <laughs> <it> carefully. 
<laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, hmm, how how much swearing do I want to do in this? So if you decide to pursue the Montana adoption records, let me know. And you can come back and, and talk to the listeners about what that was like. I will. I'll let you know. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you're an adoptee out there, you are valued. You are seen and you deserve uh, everything that's pertaining to your identity. You just deserve that. So. And I always tell all my adopted friends, you're not special. <laughs> huh. Okay. <laughs> let's take, another, let's take another minute now that I've said goodbye. Let's take another minute. Let's, what does that mean to you, Christine? <laughs> Growing up, we so often are told, but you're special. You're just, you're special. You were chosen. You were picked. You're so, you're just special. And, and so my one really good adopted friend and I decided to start telling each other that you're not special. You're just normal. Like you're just like everybody else. You're not special. Okay. All right. Thank you. I was I was just like, that could be interpreted. That could be interpreted so many different ways. Let's just let's just clear that up before we go. Uh, no, I I get that. It's you know some of us were literally chosen. Like I think you you had told me earlier that your parents had a tryout day. To yep. Do, yeah. Like we're gonna take her for a test drive, uh, and oh. then and then others of us just kind of it was like we're taking the next baby right yeah like my parents picked my mom but they only picked her because she was available yeah exactly yeah so it's uh there's a wide range of experiences within the adoptee community you know regarding like how we came to be adopted there's seems to always be this core of uh experiences when it comes to the emotions and the consequences of of adoption especially when there's lies in that adoption so so stop lying people just stop it stop telling yourselves that you're protecting the adoptee stop telling yourselves that you're doing the right thing right you know stop telling yourselves that It'll be better if we tell them when they're 18 or 21 or 25. Don't make it this big, dark secret. Because oh. it's a really great way to guarantee that your relationships with that person are going to be problematic in the future. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's, you know, your adoptive parents, if they're the ones, you know, deliberately telling you lies, or it's the agency, the community, or your first parents, whoever's telling those lies, that is damaging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just knock it off. Yeah. Time to be done. Yeah. If you, I, I just wrote in one of my blogs, like if you can't, if you're an adoptive parent or a prospective adoptive parent and you can't deal with discussing truth with your adopted child, you shouldn't be an adopted parent. Exactly. Yeah, just don't do it. All yep. right. Well, thank you again. All right. 
Do you have any other words you want to share before we go this oh, time? Nope. All right. Well, I look forward to talking with you again. All right, my dear. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye, people.